0: What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh.
1: Footcandle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Footcandle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org.
1: Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films. This is our film review and discussion show here on the TV. I'm Alan. This is Chris. Hello, guys. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing well. Just finished a screening. Yes, we did. So we're going for a late night recording here. <laughs> Chris has got his sun drop on the table. We are yes. ready to go. We're ready to talk about some movies. Chris, I know we always try to do this thing where we seem like we've got polar opposite films to review. I think we might have reached the, the epitome <laughs> of that today. Okay, uh, We have the superhero mutant regenerative powers with adamantium claws, the Wolverine. Never now, heard of it. Never heard of it. Right. <laughs> brand new. And we're going to be talking about that as well as we're going to be talking about the documentary, Stories We Tell. I don't think we could get much more different than those two. Although... By the time we come back, I will let you know if I can come up with some sort of link between those two films. Okay? When we come <laughs> back enough. from the first trailer. So we're going to talk about the Wolverine. We're going to talk about stories we tell. We got some mailbag. We're finally going to get to our mailbag. I we've, we've disregarded our mailbag for way too long. It's time to get into the mailbag. We got some uh, viewer mails. We're going to mailbag we're going to listen to. And then we're going to tap it off with some of uh recommendations for the, for the episode here. Online recommendations of films that you may want to check out. Maybe ones that were Overlooked, have been forlorn, you know, whatever it may be that, that we think you ought to check out uh, as good movies. So, sound like a plan, Chris? Yes. We ready to go? Let's do it. Good. Let's jump right into our first review, which is the film The Wolverine.
0: I've been trying to find the Wolverine for over a year. It's not who I am anymore. <laughs> My employer wants to say thank you for saving his life all those years ago. Run now! That is a time when our enemies new honor. I wanted to offer you something no one else can—a gift. You have struggled long enough. I can end your eternity. Make you mortal.
2: This summer's entry into the X-Men movie canon, we have the cleverly titled The Wolverine.
1: The Wolverine. The Wolverine. The The, so the is very important. Did.
2: Yes, definitely. We're not talking about any Michigan fans. No, no, no. We're not about... any
1: old Wolverine. It's <laughs> right. The Wolverine.
2: In the film, our hero is summoned to Japan by an old acquaintance. He then becomes embroiled in a conflict that forces him to confront his own demons. Alan, you are familiar with the storyline from the comic books. Yes. How true to the source material was the film, and did that affect your enjoyment of said film?
1: Oh, boy. Well, here's here's the problem right now, Chris. Okay, Okay. if I can let you recall back to our previous episode. Yes. I spent probably a good 10, 15 minutes completely geeking out. Yes. About... Uh, updates on films at Comic Con. Yes, okay. I got a little bit of heat on that from some people listening. <laughs> I got a little chided for you know, wow, you really know your superhero stuff. Yes, I do. But thank you. So now i hear you're putting me on the spot again. You're asking me to compare faithful adaptation of, right. of, of previous works. Let me let me say this. So the Wolverine talks about Logan, who is the Wolverine, uh, talks about his time in Japan, mm-hmm. which. That is a critical part in Wolverine's mythology is okay. his time and his encounters in Japan. Frank Miller, who yes. you know Frank Miller. Frank Miller very famously drew, this is before he was a writer, hmm. but he drew or I believe the original Wolverine miniseries, which covered this story.
2: Oh, okay, he so went on to do is, the Batman stuff, Dark Knight that's stuff. That's right. Okay, that
1: was when he was a writer. Okay, uh, but now this—he actually was an artist for a while before he became a writer. I did not know that. So there is some some story here to carry over from from the original source material. Okay, uh, I will say I was actually surprised that they stuck with this ninja Japan setting as well as they did. Hmm. Um, I think. That actually worked for the film. The best way I can sum up this film for you is that I think for three quarters of the film, it's pretty successful. Three quarters? Three quarters of the film, I think, is fairly successful. Because they used Japan as an environment. I think it was a different setting than we're used to seeing for some of our comic book adaptation movies. It had a little more of a realistic, serious vibe to it in, many, in most of the cases. Mm-hmm. I think where the film fell apart was when it became too much of a comic book movie in the last third or so. That's where, to me it didn't work. I didn't enjoy the finale of the film because it was too much like every other superhero movie we've seen Hmm. CGI, bad guy, big fight, you know, (laughs) all that stuff. Okay. So I was really digging this movie for the most part. I was a little let down at the end. There are definitely some elements of the film that I thought didn't work at all. Really? But overall, overall, I enjoyed the film overall. I thought it was a much better entry than we've seen uh, with other, I think the last Wolverine movie that Hugh Jackman did. Was not good at all. Um, I hated that it's movie. the
2: origins thing? Yeah. I, I didn't even see that it. That was not good. So,
1: okay. But you know, Hugh Jackman, I mean, he, he's he got this role down pat. I mean, he really does have this role uh, to the point where I'm happy seeing him on screen play this role, even if the film's mediocre. This is better than mediocre. Okay. I thought it was a good film. I had a few misgivings about it, especially with the end and a couple of the characters, which we'll get into a little bit. But I think overall, I enjoyed the film. I thought it was one of the better superhero comic book entries we've had in a while.
2: Okay. Your thoughts? I, I, not knowing the backstory, mm-hmm. um, but you had talked to me a little bit about it. So you said, Oh, it is a legitimate storyline with ninjas. I, I really enjoyed it. I Good. felt like it was kind of a nice hybrid between like a born legacy movie mm-hmm. <laughs> And a superhero movie.
1: Exactly. I thought that was a good way of looking at it. It had more of that, not really political intrigue, but more of that, you know, there's like some actual suspense and intrigue going on. And it was a more grounded in reality type of situation. So, yeah, um, yeah, I thought it
2: was good. And, and I, it was, it was fun for me to see a movie that just centered on, I mean, granted we had Man of Steel, but Wolverine, so it's like an X-Men movie, but it's just focusing on one person. Yeah. So you don't have a huge cast of all these different people. No, it's just you know, the Wolverine. And I enjoyed that. And like you mentioned, using Japan as kind of like a character and kind of Mm -hmm. like really embracing that. I've, I really like that aspect of it as well. I'll
1: tell you, there's a few parts about talking about the whole Japanese element, because I do think that was a really important success for the film is using that backdrop as effectively as they did. Um, There are several scenes where they're running through some of the casino environments or they're having to stay the night in the, what would they call it? The the love hotel, the love hotel, the love hotel, which, you know, is a Japanese thing in the big city there. Sure. I, uh, I thought those were really used well. And I think that added a lot more, uh, sophistication to the film and it made it less generic and more of its own style and piece and place.
2: Oh, and I'll call out two things that action sequences that actually worked really well for me. Um, and I feel like they used the setting, the bullet train sequence. Yeah you know where they were having, you know, an action scene on that. I really enjoyed that. That was good. And then there was a there's a funeral that occurs mm-hmm. in the first part of the film and using that whole traditional style funeral in the way and like there's an action sequence that occurs there. I I really liked that whole setup and i will say
1: too I, I think the action sequences you know that i've been pretty hard on action sequences and, and big blockbuster movies so far this year i think those have been the things that really just just really maybe not enjoy a film i thought these were well handled especially mm-hmm. the ones you mentioned yes the bullet train it was obviously a lot of cgi and animation it was a little obvious at times but the way it was framed and the sure. way the pacing went on it i thought was really well done and but the but the fighting itself i thought was shot very realistic realistic. I thought mm-hmm. I really bought that these guys were really duking it out, you know, and especially a lot of the martial arts and ninja fighting. I thought it was really well done. I, I didn't feel like it was overdone. I didn't feel like I was watching this really preposterous superhero action scene and just unbelievable. I mean, no, this was like really, really good fight scenes.
2: Something that interested me, too, after the movie was over and I was thinking about it, processing it. I enjoyed the fact that this felt like an origin story or a mm-hmm. reboot even though it's not because it actually takes place as we just, when we geeked out on the last episode, it takes place after the most recent X-Men movie that's right. and sets up the X-Men movie directly. That's about to happen. And so it's interesting you know. how, you know, they're able to kind of reboot the franchise, but they've already kind of done that. It's, it was interesting. Well, on just comment,
1: you know, a running thread throughout the film is, and then we're not spoiling anything because this is all very obvious in the first few minutes, but in the last film, chronologically time-wise that took place, Wolverine killed Jean Grey.
2: Oh, let's get to that weakness of the film. Okay, you
1: got (laughs) to. But go ahead, finish. So that becomes a recurring theme for from the film. Oh,
2: does it recur? Yeah, it does (laughs) recur quite a
1: bit. Where he is having dreams about talking to her, and so Mm -hmm. she is a character in the film, which I thought on the surface premise wise. Was good. Oh man! Implementation not so much. I'm <laughs> okay. with you on this. now we're on okay. the same. We're on the same path of this. What I thought was interesting is saying, okay, we're we're not discounting what's happened in the other films. We are continuing the story, mm-hmm. but yet. This very well could have been just a pure standalone, doesn't have to be connected to any other movie, right. and been fine. I think in a way, trying to shoehorn it may have actually hurt it a little bit more than helped it. Hmm. But I do like—I at least like the fact that it's a, continu- a continuing story. And they're willing to say, we're not going to just pluck this out of left field. This actually has a place in this whole universe. Right. You know? So, And you're right, during the credits, there's a scene... That very clearly sets up what a film you and I talked about recently about Brian Singer's next X Men movie, and it's a it's a very clear setup for that.
2: I think if we were you touched on briefly, kind of the last third, last twenty five percent was or last you know was your your weaknesses where you kind of had the negative feeling about the film, and you just also mentioned my negative on the film: one too many flashbacks. Of Jean Grey. Oh, there were a lot, and they and were I very repetitive. I and I understand, like you mentioned, it's somebody he killed in the movie pr- right prior to this. And so, and it, you know, it has to do with him working through his emotions. And I understand that, but they were just, it was overkill. I felt like I really, to the point where they showed her the last time, I was like, oh, come on. I was, was really sick much. of seeing her. I agree.
1: And it was yeah. it, it would be different if it, if each of the flashbacks were different yeah. and shared different types of information with you. But no, it was all yeah. exactly the same type of dialogue and reinforcing the same idea again yeah yeah can we talk actors actresses a little bit real quick sure uh, Hugh Jackman I mean we've never really talked about him playing this role I, I already mentioned I think he's born to play this role I love watching him play this role are you 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 feeling that way too oh, yeah
2: I, mean, I, th- I think he's he's Wolverine I mean maybe yeah. that's why I had trouble in Les Mis is because I saw Wolverine mm-hmm. walking around but yeah. yeah I mean
1: he's typecast but yet it we're okay with it. I mean, I actually think this is his best performance in the role. Cause I think we got to see a wider range of emotions. Yeah. Um, he became I, less of a comic book character yes. and more of a
2: fleshed out character. But
1: I like the fact, too, that when when the going got rough, I mean, he, <laughs> he, they call it berserker out, berserker mode in the comic. Okay. That's kind of his thing. He just goes nuts. And I think we got more of that here. I know <laughs> that it was still a PG-13 movie, but I thought it was a very hardcore PG-13 movie. Yeah. Uh, there were some scenes I was actually really surprised they pulled off in a PG-13 movie. <laughs> So not one for the little kids. Um, It was definitely a lot more intense than I expected it to be. Uh, I will say Mariko, uh, his love interest in the film played by Taya Okamoto. I really liked her. I thought she was very good. I also liked his kind of his sidekick Yukio, uh, Rila Fukushima. Fukushima? Sure. Let's go with that. Sounds good. I thought those were both good. Uh, Really, really fun actresses to watch. Hiroyuki Sonata as Shingen, who's kind of a, he's a, I guess, kind of a bad guy, but I mean, there's a little bit more of a story to it than that. He so. plays
2: kind of a figurehead in the Black Guard, kind of a group of ninjas or something.
1: Yeah. But also wasn't he Meriko's fiance at one point? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So one huge weakness. <laughs>
2: I think I so know Lady this, Viper. I think I know where this is. Oh going. Oh my in. gosh. Yeah.
1: I had heard some bad reviews about her performance before I went in. So I maybe went in with very low expectations. She was better than I thought she was going to be, but it was still a glaring. That was when things got too comic booky and too over-the-top for me, is well, her scenes. And
2: I don't even know the character of Viper. I, I I think it's just an example of a poorly written character. I yeah, can't blame the actress was. on the performance because I just— It was a
1: one-note character. Right. It was, I'm here to be the true bad person bad type guy. of thing. Right. It's played by Svetlana Kojidenkova. Um, okay. Never— don't know anything about her. Yeah, I'm sure she's a fine actress, but this was a one-note character and it was it was the one thing that just didn't fit the rest of the movie. Where I right. thought the rest of the movie had some real depth to it. She was basically, you know, what you would expect from a superhero uh high budget blockbuster movie. So,
2: yeah, she she was a weaker part. I not knowing the source material, I was unfamiliar with some of how some enemies were going to be resolved in the end. Mm. I'm just keeping it very, and I I enjoyed that kind of surprise that kind of came at the end. I guess you were probably not as surprised. No, I was, I was
1: okay with the surprise. And again, we won't talk, talk about what it was having to do with the the big bad villain. Um, I was, I was pleased with it. I just wish it hadn't come after a very by the numbers. Hmm. How many fights in a superhero movie do we have to have in a giant laboratory looking facility? I'm sorry. (laughs) I, I just, I loved all the scenes where they're fighting out in, the actual environment. And they're actually in Japan to end on a scene for the last 20 minutes where we're just basically in a giant lab facility that looks so nondescript from every other superhero movie. Yeah. Or whatever. That okay. was just disappointing. I know the surprise, the twist, the, the reveal I thought was nice. It was kind of a fun little th- twist. I did not expect it, but I just wish it had happened in a different environment, a different setting. So
2: I'll say to the buildup of, to him actually going to Japan, how the movie starts off and he's kind of acting the loner hermit guy. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed yeah. that. It didn't feel, and I didn't feel like they were rushing to get to Japan, rushing to start the main part of the movie. I felt like they took their time kind of establishing, you know, how he was doing hanging out in the U S and yeah. stuff. So I the
1: director, uh, James Mangold, who, um, Walk the Line is probably one of the bigger films he's done. Okay. He also did the recent remake of Three Ten to Yuma. Okay, um, so he's got he's got some good film cred. I mean, he's 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 not a hack here. He's, I think he put some good spin on this. I think he shot the. Uh, all the Japanese scenery and, and and the 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 environments there really well, um, and I think he got a great performance out of Hugh Jackman. So uh, you know, I, I I thought it was a good movie. I had a few misgivings with it, but overall, compared to some of the other big big blockbuster movies we've seen this year, I thought this one stood out pretty well.
2: And um, it makes me interested to see how they're going to do. Okay, Days of Future. Past. Very nice. Yes. Yeah, you're the learning. <laughs> so, you are learning, Chris. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, it makes me interested to see it, which is always a good sign. If you're mm-hmm. interested to see the next movie in the line of the yep. sequels, then...
1: Not so, th- it sounds like we're both saying, hey, yeah, Wolver- the, Wolver- the Wolverine. The Wolverine. the Wolverine. pretty good movie. Yeah. So, I'm going to go check it out. So, not too bad. All right. Well, let's move on to the complete opposite. I, I told you I was going <laughs> to find a way to connect the two films. Okay. Here we go. Okay. In both The Wolverine and Sarah Polley's Stories We Tell... We're dealing with characters who don't quite know all
2: the details about their past. Excellent. Well done. Thank you very much.
1: (laughs) The next review is Sarah Polly's documentary Stories We
0: Tell. When you're in the middle of a story, it isn't a story at all, but only a confusion, a dark roaring, a blindness. It's only afterwards that it becomes anything like a story when you're telling it to yourself. Or to someone else.
2: Dad, can you just go back over that one
0: line? I was being so real.
1: (laughs) Here, Chris, we have a film in Stories We Tell where Sarah Polly, Canadian actress that I've been a fan of. I thought she was great in Go many years ago. I think uh, I even liked her in the film Splice, a sci-fi kind of slash horror film from a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's a good actress but she has recently turned into a director. So we had take this waltz we had away from her uh, actually in reverse order. And now this is her third directorial effort, which happens to be a documentary called stories we tell in this film, Miss Polly opens her family vaults open to the public, letting us dig a little deeper into learning about her family, most notably her mother, Right, uh, where we start to uncover through the course of the film that Her mother, a very unique, interesting, vivacious personality, did harbor some secrets, did harbor some things that would have lasting impacts on this family for years to come, and especially on Sarah herself. Mm -hmm. So we're actually seeing a documentary where Sarah Polly is telling the story of her own family through her own family members, her sitting down and interviewing her family members to learn more about her mother, which ultimately helps her learn a little bit more about her father. And we'll leave it at that. Because there are some spoilers with this, believe it or not, with the documentary. There are some spoilers. spoilers. Yeah. But Chris, let me just ask you the question. Because there are some choices made in this, this documentary, which we'll go into a little bit later during some spoiler alert time. Sure. But there are some choices made in making this documentary that do go against what we normally would expect in a traditional documentary. Knowing that we've got Sarah Polly as an actress – primarily that we've known her as an actress now putting her skills towards something that a documentary is supposed to be about the truth and about what's real or what we know and facts and everything else taking the very interesting style of filmmaking to the documentary scene does miss Polly pull it off does she need to pull back the reins and go back in the direction of directing dramatic films which she's did in her first two or do you think there's a budding documentarian do we have another uh, you know uh well, uh, Morris. Uh, Harold Morris or something like that in the future.
2: Well that's that's a very loaded question. Because there very, are some
1: Harold Morris touches in this I, documentary b- yes. for sure.
2: Yes yeah. there are definitely. She is a very talented Sarah Polly, very talented filmmaker and I think her instincts lie more on the dramatic fiction side. Okay. Um, with this documentary I appreciated the style that she went about doing. it. This is Unlike it has touches of Errol Morris and you know, other, Hmm. but it's unlike any other documentary I've ever seen because she is trying to learn about her past and she is you hear her voice every mm-hmm, once in a while. Mm-hmm. She, you know, it's consists of a lot of interviews and you hear her voice asking the questions. And sometimes they will break the fourth wall. One character even jokes about that and ask things directly. Like, what are you hoping to get out of this? Yeah, why are you interviewing right. our family? Why is this interesting? You know, and you hear, and so it, it makes you kind of challenge the whole time. Why exactly is she doing this? Hmm. And what, what is she, is she trying to, what is she trying to prove about herself? What is she, you know? So I, I feel like her Talents maybe lie more in fiction filmmaking as opposed to document. But I feel like this, I guess if everybody has one story in them or everybody has one movie they could make, this is definitely her one documentary. And I feel like, you know, I think, but I I can't imagine, I don't foresee her going on to make more documentaries, if that makes any sense. Yeah,
1: I think this was a, it was a very personal story. And I think it's something we got the impression even through the story that this is something she's been thinking about doing for years. For a while. Quite a while. So I do agree with you. I don't think this is her on the path to say I'm going to start making documentary stories. No, this is this was her one story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what she's trying to do with it, and we both, neither of us have gotten to whether we like this film or not yet. I guess we can get to that in a minute. <laughs> what I got from this is that she's more interested in the process of storytelling and what people say, what they recollect, what they remember what they choose to tell what they choose not to tell even though yes it is about her personal life and i think obviously that was the the starting point for wanting to make this film is wanting to dig in deeper i think she got more interested in how do people tell stories and what can we learn from different sides of a story about someone and what can we how can we paint a picture from all angles i agree with you in that i think she has more of an actor's mentality in a a dramatic directing mentality throughout this documentary and unfortunately for me it did cause me to wonder at times how much of what she got from even her own family members was a little on the planted side a little well yeah okay some of the dramatic pauses some of the forlorn looks i I almost got the impression that because she is a, a an actor's director there's very possible and she has a family full of theatrical people yes it's very possible some of this may have been a little done up for the camera and a little more heightened than maybe it it really had been in real life possibly i will say though i enjoyed the film um i liked it i thought it was a really well-made documentary but i do question the validity of some of the interviews and scenes just because of her background and her her theatrical family
2: yeah i mean her her mother was an actress, and her father was an actor, and then he was also a writer. And one of her siblings is a casting director, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's you kind of begin to wonder. Another
1: yeah. key person in her life is also a director right. and producer. So, yes, yeah, right. So you, there's a little bit of that in there. Uh, again, we'll talk about spoilers here in just a moment. So sure. if you haven't seen this film and you don't want to be ruined, we'll tell you when in a second to to tune out. To tune out. <laughs> Yeah, Did you like the film? I can't Uh, really tell.
2: Yeah, I know. And it's because we just, like we mentioned at the top of the podcast, we literally walked out of a screening, came over and started recording. It is still settling in, but I think a stylistic choice, we're kind of dancing around things a bit here to remain in uh, non-spoiler territory, but a stylistic choice that she made and the extent to which Mm. she went down this path made me... Not appreciate it as much. Okay. I and think.
1: I, I, I know where you're going with that, so we'll talk about and that. And so, here. did
2: I like, did I enjoy watching the film? Was it an enjoyable experience? Was it very unique as far as how it was constructed? Yes. But do I respect it as a documentary? Mm, that's a
1: good way to put it. Maybe not. Okay. I but may I, be with you on that I will that say,
2: a at one point one of the people in the film I think it's one of her brothers asks her like why are you doing this what do you want to get out of this are you trying to focus on memory on how we tell stories and she kind of says well I'm looking at how people recall the past and she gives a little bit of an explanation so if you discount what she may be learning about her actual family and you just generalize it and knock it down and say it's interesting to see how different people recall different aspects of their past yeah and the truths of, you know, what did really happen? Does it matter now? So those were interesting things to think about, I okay. guess. But overall, the way that she put the film together, maybe I'm not 100% on board with. Hmm. If that makes any sense. Uh, yeah.
1: No, I think I, I think I liked it maybe a little bit more than you did because I, I just – I generally – I was moved by the film. I mean it did speak to me. I, 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 I sympathize with so many of the characters in there. And that's something we haven't really – talked about and there's the actual characters i say characters i mean these are real people talking but you know you learn a lot of aspects of a lot of different people and i think we got a really good insight into family dynamics and i felt like it was fairly genuine in people's reactions to certain situations and how they had they recalled certain things i i I admired her putting it all out there like she did whether or not it was a little heightened and whether or not the choices she made on how to make the film worked or not, I still think to put it out there and let people explore this story with her was, was pretty was pretty brave.
2: I think, yeah, there there's a lot of laundry, family laundry mm-hmm. being aired. And that's pretty gutsy to put all that out there for her because she's an actress, director, and then for her family members as well to be yeah. willing to go through this process. I will say that you were saying that some of the emotions that were put on screen at some points you could— you know, you really you know you bought into and you thought they were effective specifically for me i'll call out two different instances the father talking about michael yes michael talking about his wife diane and dying of cancer and mm. you hear him talking to sarah probably being interviewed about it and then she asks him some questions and then at one point he's like wow you're one hell of a Interview, you know, you're really yeah. being really Sadistic rough. interviewer. Yeah. yeah. And and then she said, well, you told me I had to break you down. And, you know, I had mm-hmm. to break. he's like, well, there wasn't any acting in that. And he's kind of saying like, yeah, you, you, it you, worked.
1: I bought it. Yeah. <laughs> it was I mean, brutal. Uh, yeah.
2: You know, and so that was effective to me and how he was being very sincere about the last words he said to his wife who yeah. was dying. That and then another point in the film where one of her brothers is recounting her mom. We learn, I guess, a little bit of a spoiler, but not as much as we'll get sure. to she was married twice Mm -hmm. and uh, this brother was from her first marriage and he talks about, no, actually I'm sorry. He was referring to some of his brothers and sisters that were from that first marriage and basically talking about, she lost custody of her children. Mm -hmm. And he, even though he wasn't one of those children, he gets really emotional talking about how hard that must've been for his mother. And he breaks down and that was, that was intense. I don't think that was faked. Oh no, no, (laughs) no. I I really don't think,
1: I really don't think, the more I really sit here and think, I don't think the interviews at all were fake. I mean, they were what people were saying. But, again, it's a theatrical family. Sure. They know their their sister or family members making a documentary about this story. <laughs> right. I think, naturally, you're going to play to the camera a little bit more. And I just, I'm just i curious how much of that may have been the case in the film.
2: Well, in some of uh, the lighter moments, they may have been... I guess hamming it up Possibly. more. Yeah, yeah. sure. I Very well, could be.
1: well, Chris, let's, let's go ahead and put up the big red flashing okay. spoiler symbol because we do yes. need to talk about one or two aspects of the film. Sure. So if you don't want to hear any more about this film, you want to go in with a fresh, uh fresh mind, uh, skip ahead, maybe a couple minutes into the podcast. <laughs> and yeah. uh, when you hear us talking about the mailbag and reading the mail, you'll know that you're a good spot. <laughs> um, but Chris, okay. So we we kind of danced around it, but let's just yes. talk about it. Okay. There, the, the, a, a stylistic choice was made to recreate some home video footage, although that's not revealed to us until we're really close to the end of the film. Correct. So all the whole point of the film, we've been watching a lot of home video footage to the point where you're starting to question, oh my gosh, did they videotape everything they did like growing up? Then you come to find out, nope, she actually recreated it. And they make a big point about it in the film to say she wanted to take these stories and see if she could craft these memories out of it, how she wanted to see them on screen. Right. So you actually see them behind the scenes making a lot of this footage with actors and everything else. It was a shocking moment because up to that point, you're, you're still kind of led to believe, uh, yeah, this was all, this just happened to be a family that did use the super eight camera and shot a whole bunch of home video footage. Right. Come to find out, no, they just found a lot of actors that looked a lot like these family members. And put him in those situations. You you seem to have had a problem with that with that
2: choice. And I think the reason I did is because it was housed in being a documentary. Yeah. And we've discussed Project Nim on one of our yes. first podcasts. We talked about Project about
1: Nim. The, uh, pe- the family raising the monkey yes. as, a, as a part of the family.
2: And then you have recommended at one point Man on Wire as a yes. documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are both good documentaries. They both use reenactments. Errol Morris, as you mentioned. In yes, the part he of does the, a
1: lot of reenactments. Yeah.
2: And I think the problem is when they're reenactments, it's obvious they are to me for the most part. It's obvious that they're reenactments. And in this movie... In stories we tell it wasn't obvious they were trying to pull one over on us right and i didn't in a documentary i don't i don't want to i don't want to have something pulled over on me i don't i don't appreciate in in fiction movies like sixth sense and stuff like that you know twists and everything are okay surprises are okay but the way that she garnered the major amount of surprise is by fooling us with the footage i feel like it it was it was over now granted it kind of goes back to what her point is, which I was dancing yeah. around at first, as far as stories we tell is the name of the movie. This is a story where all, she had several different people telling it different ways. This was her way of telling her it, her
1: vision of what the stories look like. Right. So see, that's the way I took she it. She was never, why... she
2: was never interviewed. Yeah. So her window is into this is to make a fictitious fictitious yeah. vision of what, I, so see, and, I
1: was, I was okay with it. I actually like this, the cho- the choice. At first, when I, when I first realized it was fake, I mean, I say fake, you know, it's reenacted footage. Right. I, you know, at first I'm like, what? And I was a little taken aback, and then I'm like, okay, now I get it. She she has no probably real big memory of her mother. I mean, her mother died when she was fairly young. Right. She is learning more about her mother from just talking and interviewing these family members than than probably she ever knew before. Right. We, as the audience, have no visual representation of most of these events we're only hearing it from the words other people tell us so basically she was doing what our own minds are doing anyway when we hear these stories we're envisioning in our head how that scene plays out and how it looks and how how that person may have appeared so that was her way of doing it i I almost thought it was kind of cool to say okay so i know my mother met this gentleman and they used to hang out this bar after a theater performance so i wonder how that looked you know, I wonder how it looked when my mother was with her friends at a after party from a theater performance, so she put it out there. She got actors that looked just like her the these family members and acted it out.
2: I liked it I did
1: I thought it was neat i uh, and
2: it was an interesting stylistic choice, I guess in the context of a documentary, you want to you know. When we talk about other you go see Lincoln, and it's not a documentary. So you're wondering, okay, did it really happen this way? Did it not really happen? You're expecting a documentary to give you truth, which is what this movie's about, too. And I guess I just don't I just but I don't, don't think expect she
1: made it. up any situations in the film. I, I think that the scene she recreated, I think she had a really strong enough knowledge base from all the stories. To story be able to. That film. they happened. Right. You know, all it takes is a couple of her friends saying, oh, yeah, your mom and this guy hung out. After the theater performance every every night, you know, with right. a bunch of her friends drinking at the bar. You know, visually, she can represent that. She's not lying to us. She's just showing us how it looks in her head to her,
2: hmm. you know. When I guess... if You go back
1: to a film like Bernie. You know, we talked about Bernie uh, uh, earlier in the year. Right. Being a film that was primarily dramatic, but yet they had some documentary interviews in there right with real people but then we also found out some of them were faked Fake. documentary interviews so it's like a film that should a film proclaim in its first few seconds oh hey this is a documentary we're going to abide by the rules of documentaries or this is the dramatic film so everything you see is going to be made up you know i don't mind a film blurring those lines for us and not feeling like it has to play within certain boundaries on those
2: when i guess the yeah, I guess <laughs> the,
1: the film is still really raw in our head. I it is, that, so. and I think
2: you know if the Bernie thing, you know, it was obvious Jack Black wasn't this guy. Sure, and then the interviews you kind of had to say, you know, the the bulk of the film was fictitious. So you're, I mean, well, not was fictitious, dr- but it was was a reenactment. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. So then the fact that. Some of the interviews might have been staged or whatever doesn't come as that much of a shock. I think the fact that from the get-go in this movie, you just interpret what looks like family movie and stock footage, you know, and it's apparently all fake. And then it's called into your mind or into question, what is fake? What's not fake? Mm. And it's... I don't know. I just feel like she was well, jerking us around a little bit. But I, much.
1: and again, I think that was part of her point. Uh, I think her I, yeah. point was, you know, sometimes when you hear stories from family members and you see things being told, you don't know how much of it is True. just the version they want to tell you and their own fanciful version. So she is sharing with us her visualization of how some of these scenes played out. I was okay with it. Well,
2: and I think what what made me disappointed more,
1: <laughs> okay,
2: in the beginning of the movie or the beginning of the documentary. They show her setting up lights and stuff for these interviews, and I really appreciate that because it was kind of like a behind the scenes of making a documentary. And I was like, "Oh, I really like this feel." And then at the very end of the movie, they do some of the behind the scenes of the archival footage, and then you're like, "Okay, wait a second! All the stuff that I was assuming was slightly legitimate is now complete." And I, I yeah, kind of with you, kind of with of it, you. Of with you there thing. were some scenes. Where I started to think, wait a second, I don't understand how there would possibly be a camera there. There are or two how-
1: or three scenes in particular where I honestly thought to myself, they really got that shot from back in the s- mid seventies, late seventies, okay. and okay. we t- we find out oh, no, they didn't.
2: It's so. crystallizing now. Okay. I know, I know what it is now. All right. <laughs> not, you know, Go we've for just it. seen the movie. It's crystallizing. That's what it was distracting for me Okay, is because we're not, that's why that's my problem with the movie. There we go. It was distracting for me when my mind started to realize, okay, it's unrealistic that a camera is getting these shots because there's no way they would have been there at all. The right times are zoomed into people's faces at some, and then it starts to call into question the whole hour and 30 minutes. I've been sitting in the theater and that distracts me from even paying attention to what is being said on the screen. Okay. So and that, that so the, hurt the stylistic choice yeah. totally took me out of the film. Wow. okay. Does that
1: make sense? No, yeah, it okay. does. I, and I totally get it. And I think if I had been just a few degrees off from where I was mentally, I probably would feel the same way as you. Because uh, I totally get it. Right. Um, you
2: didn't have the same I was just okay with it. Sure. I, just, I, I, I was you. looking
1: at it as more of a... Almost like when you know somebody's trying to tell you a story, they're trying to tell you a dream they had. Mm-hmm. They start describing it, and you've already got your own vision in your head of how this looks. Like when you read a book, I mean, yeah. it's the whole thing—you read a book, you've got it painted in your head. This is how it looks, although the author may have intended it a completely different way visually. It's just you're interpreting it your own way. I like this idea of she's going to show you what she's interpreting from these stories. And, um, now if I, if I found out the end of the film and they didn't break it and tell us that it was faked footage and they tried to make the whole film go, and then I found out later (laughs) reading on IMDB that half the archival footage was fake, I'd be furious. Well, I think the fact that she went ahead and said, Oh, nope," by the way, this was me recreating this stuff. I was okay with
2: it. And I think that's a good way for me to summarize my feelings is that I liked the film, but I was, I was taken out of the film okay, and it bothered me for the last like 30 minutes or so. But some of the truths that were said by the people on the screen about, you know, your past and how that affects you and who yeah. you are as a person and, you know, how you, when you learn certain things, how you deal with it and how you move forward in your life, that was worth seeing the movie for. And I thought it was really <laughs> revealing. Frank is a character that has had a big influence on her life. As, we're
1: still in spoiler territory, in right. spoiler area. So we can say, okay,
2: well, you know, Frank yeah. turns out to be her biological father, daddy, daddy yeah. And he did not get to meet her until he was probably 70 years old. He basically kept a secret, didn't ever contact her, all this kind of stuff, let it be. And, you know, at the end, he's been, you know, kind of talking about how he had this affair with the mom. And he says basically that he thinks he should be the only person to tell this story. And he she shouldn't really be talking to all these other people because the only people who knew about it Mm. were him and her mom and her mom's dead. And this guy was a movie producer Mm. and, you know, And so it's interesting to hear his very definitive choices. But then she says, you know, she's like, well, and he acknowledged her idea was to put everybody's story there. And then the truth would kind of, oops, knocked over the sun drop. The truth would kind of come out. Yeah. And there was kind of an interesting thing that she let him have that whole statement. But then she didn't agree with him. And she went ahead and made the movie that she wanted to
1: make. Well, and come to find out, actually, more other characters in the documentary did have good insight to the story. So I I don't really buy Frank's argument that I'm the only one that can really tell this story because actually we find out everybody around them had perceptions and ideas and stories that had to do with this. So it was it was a much more fleshed out. I think she made the right choice by getting everybody involved and not focusing on just one or two people. Right. Yeah. Well, that's Stories We Tell. Um, it's a documentary. I, it, it's not going to be for everybody, but I think I can say I generally enjoyed it. If you like
2: documentaries. Yeah, it's a good documentary. Yeah.
1: There's no searching for Sugarman, which is still probably the best documentary I've seen in, in the last few years. But it's a, it's a well-made documentary. I will give it that. If you can see past and appreciate some of the stylistic choices she made in making the film, you may, you may enjoy the film as well. And we encourage you to at least check it out. Chris, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got some listener mail, which I'm very excited about, that we're finally going to get to. And then we're also going to talk about our recommendations for the episode of films people ought to be checking out. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films.
0: We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, Music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show.
1: Welcome back to Foot Candle Films, our film review and discussion show here on themesh.tv. I do encourage you, before we continue, if you have any uh, thoughts, feedback, ideas about the show, this episode, any of the reviews we just did, feel free to drop us a note. Let us know. You can reach us at info at TheMesh.TV. That's T-H-E-M-E-S-H.TV. Reach us there. You can go to TheMesh.TV website, and there's a place to contact us there. We'd love to hear from you, because when you reach out to us and you pose us a question, there is a good chance you could end up... Here in the Foot Candle mailbag. There you go. There you go. This is proof positive, guys. You write to us, we're going to listen to you. Um, <laughs> before we get into that, though, uh, just a reminder too you can always go back and listen to past episodes of Foot Candle Films on the mesh.tv. You go, you pull up the Foot Candle Films page. You can go all the way back to the very beginning, episode 001, where we talk about the movie Win Win. One of our first reviews on this uh, this this fine show, and then you can listen to every episode back to back for an entire weekend and just make a whole whole big time about it. The kids will love it. <laughs> that's uh, right. Put them in front. Do it like old timey radio shows, and you know everybody <laughs> kind of crowds around the stereo and just listens to podcasts all weekend. There you that's go. the way you do it. That's 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 Norman Rockwell. <laughs> <laughs> really good uh, American, American fun for the family right there. So. Sure. All right. So, Chris, we did have a, a few letters in the last uh, couple of weeks that we did want to at least get to and cover. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. I'm going to read the first one here for us. All right. This one is from Jeff in Savannah, Georgia, which is a nice area. So Jeff wants to know, he asked a question, as the summer slowly winding down and the Oscar hype is on the horizon, what 2013 films yet to be released are you guys most looking forward to? Great okay. question. Thank you for the question, Jeff. Um Smurfs Two is already out, so that does not that's count true. for me anymore. I can't. I says Grown
2: my Ups Two grown and ups. Red Two. Okay.
1: So I did see Red Two. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, that's enough about that. So <laughs> okay. all right, so Fair Chris, enough. good question. Uh, do you have a few films that I know we could probably go on for a long time. Let's just uh sure. let's tap it out at three. What's what's three. three films you know of still to be released here in two thousand thirteen that you are the most interested in seeing?
2: Okay, and I'm I'll couch mine by saying I'm not necessarily even really thinking about it. It's still a little early for me to really think about Oscars. So I'm just yeah, thinking no, about we, films. We, yeah, I'm looking just, forward just to Just talk not films in general. Yeah. Oscar, whether or not. Um, and I'll go in order of release date. Okay. I've really thought this out, I guess. I want
1: to see if we have any overlaps here. We okay. have not shared our list no, no, yet. No,
2: we, okay. we might. Um, first one is October 4th, and that's Gravity.
1: Oh, yeah. And that's, uh, I almost had that on there.
2: Alfonso Caron's the director. He gave us Children of Men, mm-hmm. which is a pretty good film. Uh, Very good film. And has uh, Sandra Bullock and what's George Clooney. George Clooney, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, those two in it. And if you have been anywhere near a theater in the past two or three months, you've probably seen the trailer. Um, yes, it's with, a lot of floating in space. Yes, a lot of mm-hmm. floating in space. But it really, visually, I know it's going to be interesting. And the two actors I like, the director I like. So I'm. I'm a sucker for science fiction. Yeah. So that's the first one.
1: Okay, great. Gravity. That gravity? I am, That was my number four, but yeah, okay. you got it. Good.
2: Uh, next up, we have another science fiction film, Ender's Game. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: This yeah. is the one I told you about. It is. You did not know they were even making this no. film until I told you a few episodes no. ago.
2: And I, I am, I like the book so much. It comes out November 1st, so it's next in line. I like the book so much that I'm going to see the movie regardless. Even if I hear it's horrible, I will go see the movie just because yeah. I want to see how they do certain things. I'm hoping I have very high expectations because the book is so good that I feel like it'd be kind of hard to screw up. So I think well, the movie I think the movie. Famous gonna, last words, Mr. Fry. I know, I know. Yeah. I mean, not that I think it's going to be Oscar-worthy, but there's like so much potential that it'll at least be, you know— Mediocre. It's not going to be bad. Right. You know? Can I bring
1: you? Can I bring your expectations down just a notch, though? Sure. Do you know who the director is? Uh, Linking back to our first review of the show. Oh, It was the director of X Men Origins Wolverine, Gavin Hood.
2: Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, see, now I haven't seen a, seen that. So, well,
1: I mean, I, I did not like that particular film, but I don't right. think it was all the director's fault on that. So, well, and
2: I mean. Yeah, I just and the the actors involved. We have Harrison Ford, Ben Kingsley, Viola Davis. The guy who actually plays Ender, the young man who actually plays Ender, is aza Butterfield. Yes, was he Hugo? He was okay. Mm-hmm. um Okay, so because I was thinking he looked familiar. No, no, he's I just, a good actor. Yeah, I I just I think it'll be really good. So that's that's your that's, three. That oh, that's my two. Oh, two. Oh, what's
1: that's your third me. one? I know what it is.
2: Oh, yeah? Okay. Well, uh, I mean, just, yes.
1: tell me if it, Yeah. just tell me what it is. Okay. I'll tell you if I'm right.
2: Or right. Uh, December 6th, Inside Llewellyn Davis. Got yes. it. It's Got Coen it. Brothers movie. Coen Brothers, yeah. Um, about a folk singer in like 1960, 1970s yes. in New York or something. It's a Coen Brothers movie. That's, That's all, all you I really need, need to, know. to know. So those are my three.
1: Um, and plus, uh, that also happens to have one of my favorite actresses in it. Um, and I'm already drawn a blank. Carrie here,
2: Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan. Yes, yes. Carrie I didn't Mulligan. Know
1: she was a- uh, the star. Uh, I actually brought this up in a news item maybe a year ago. Okay. Uh, the star, I don't even remember his name. He's basically a fairly unknown actor. Huh. They've cast in the lead as Lewin Davis. Okay. Um, but you've got. Carrie Mulligan, you got Justin Timberlake, which, yeah. <laughs> you know, I like Justin Timberlake. Hey, I think he's a good I actor him in the social network. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got a partner too. It looks, it look in John Goodman, your, your typical I mean, clone, clone brother. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'll tell you, I'm glad I knew I was going to mention and Davis, but I knew you were going to mention it. So okay. I d- intentionally did not put it. So my do list. we have any overlap? Um, no, because I predicted that gravity and and Davis were going to be two you were going to name. So wow. I did not put them on my list, okay. even though they would have been two of my batting around that top three. Okay. I wanted to go for ones I thought might be different. Okay. So let me go in the same order, descending order, uh, of release date, uh, Wolf of Wall Street, Martin ah, Scorsese yes. with, uh, what's his name? Big DiCaprio. Titanic guy. Yeah, DiCaprio. So basically, you know that's yeah, what he's be known for the rest of his life is Titanic Guy. <laughs> Titanic guy. He's still a Titanic guy. He it doesn't is. matter how many Titanic. other Oscars he wins. No. He's Titanic he's guy. He's Titanic guy. Wolf of Wall Street, uh, depicting kind of the financial moral corruption of Wall Street in recent years. And just the trailer alone has sold me on this film. The trailer looks very good but in more modern day and, and more of a large cast of characters and very chaotic style. I hope the trailer lives up to the film because I'm totally sold on just the trailer alone, okay uh this one I'm kind of surprised if you didn't have this on your list if you had a longer list her spike <sighs> jones
2: yeah i've I've just recently heard of the film and I yeah. saw the trailer and I don't know how to feel about it. The
1: trailer doesn't appeal to me, okay, but I do trust Spike Jones. Uh, This is a film uh, stars Joaquin Phoenix Mm -hmm. in the voice of Scarlett Johansson. (laughs) Right. uh, Where Joaquin Phoenix's character basically has a relationship, falls in love with his Siri-like phone assistant voice. This is a little bit of a fantasy tale where they've released a version of, like, it's like Siri on your phone, the person you can talk to and ask questions. That is actually a much, much more advanced version of that. And he basically becomes friends and somewhat connected romantically yeah. with her uh the trailer the trailer like makes it look like it could be really hokey but i it is spike jones i do trust right. that you know it's just a trailer i think he's i think he and joaquin phoenix i'm interested to see what the two of them do together
2: uh, yeah i i'm interested just because of the director who's involved yeah. and i i trust him that it'll be interesting it's just like you say the trailer makes it off to be like a Nora Ephron, you've got it, it, mail. It's type a company.
1: little cliche. It's right. a little, uh, yeah, on the nose type of thing. But I don't think that's what Spike Jones is going to pull out of his hat. Okay. Um, and the last one I'll mention, I've also mentioned this in the news before because I just I love the premise, The Monument Men. Uh, okay, this I've is, forgotten what this is. is George Clooney's, uh, he's directing and starring in the film. Okay. And I just love the, the, the idea of this. Uh, it's based on a real story, true story. Uh, in a race against time, a crew of art historians and museum curators unite to recover renowned works of art stolen by the Nazis right. before Hitler destroys them. Okay, I remember. You. Okay, uh, I haven't seen the trailer yet. Uh, they just released it. I'm kind of trying not to watch trailers as much anymore. We can talk okay. about that in our oh, okay. next episode. But um, I like George Clooney. You've already mentioned him with Gravity. I mm-hmm. just generally like the guy. The premise to me, this sounds like this could be a historical Ocean's Eleven hmm. with an eclectic cast of characters. And okay. you look at this cast: George Clooney, Kate Blanchett, Matt Damon, Bill Murray, John Goodman, uh, Jean Dujardin. Right. Um, anyway, I'm I'm ready. It's December 18th that film comes out.
2: December 18th. Yeah. So okay. uh,
1: those are three plus and Davis and Gravity I was going to mention as well so I think we've got a good fall and winter coming up with some movies I'm very excited about a lot of these yeah yeah. so uh, back to sure. Jeff's question wow we spent a lot of time on Jeff's question but Jeff thank you for the question
2: <laughs> yes we got a lot of cool films we're looking forward to what else do we have in the mailbag Chris okay moving right along yeah. Shannon from Albany New York she wrote us and it's like hey Thanks for your recent take. She actually on only... said, "Hey, no, okay, I'll just she did oh, not say you hey. but she
1: did say, "You're not being real with us, Mr. <laughs> no, Fry."
2: <I> <laughs> she said, "Thanks for your recent take on only God forgives. While I have absolutely no intention of seeing the film, not a big fan of gratuitous violence. It was entertaining to hear you guys discuss the merits of the film. Sounds like to me the only check in the good column would be running time. Keep up the good work. Well, oh, thank you for that. I guess nice. that was your comment that you felt like." The film lingered on a lot of shots, and but gracefully it was only an hour and a half.
1: So. Yeah, it still could have been a 45-minute film <laughs> if you really wanted it to be. But I, I will say, I don't think running time is the only check in the positive column. I do think cinematography. I think the shots that were on the screen, sometimes for way too long, but the shots that were there were beautiful, all gotcha. of them. So I will say cinematography and running time are both in the in the positive column. Um, she's right though if you don't like gratuitous
2: violence yeah, enough for you
1: it's, it's a tough film <laughs> yeah. it's a really tough film on that on that front so not for everybody no. I think we even said that during our review it's it's not a one that everybody's going to watch and get anything out of so, sure
2: I mean we try to review all sorts of types of films yeah. so gotta have a sure. good mix in there
1: okay uh, well let's do one more okay um, let's go back south again okay Dennis from Jacksonville Florida he has communicated to us saying I've been listening to your podcast for a while Thank you. Have you been listening, Yay. Dennis, since episode one? If not, <laughs> I've got your weekend planned for you. I've been listening to your podcast for a while, and I'm happy to see that you've in- increased both your output from one to two shows a month. You're welcome. <laughs> and the number of films discussed in each episode. Yeah, we cram in a lot of films yeah, these days. And
2: it's just getting more, it's like snow it is. But
1: hey. He, so he says, I'm curious, do you have any plans to discuss The Conjuring or
2: Fruitville Station? Chris, have you seen either of these films yet? Uh, Fruitvale Station, I have seen. You did see Fruitvale Station. And that was by Sheer Luck. Um, Okay. You know, usually movie companies are really good about promoting things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this movie, I think, was released by the Weinstein Company, which usually they're really good about promoting films. I didn't even know what this film was, but I happened to see – I was going to go see Wolverine, actually. And this film popped up. I'm like, what is that? Mm Mm-hmm come to find out it won the grand jury prize at Sundance and mm-hmm. also the audio or audio audience prize at Sundance. Okay. So I was like, okay, well, if it won two prizes, at Sundance must be good. So I went back and checked it out. Really good. Movie. Oh, you liked it. So Fayetteville station
1: was good. I haven't checked that out yet. It's, so good. And, and
2: briefly, it's just talks about an incident that happened out in California on the mass transit system on New Year's Eve. A guy was shot. Mm-hmm. And it basically chronicles the last day in his life building up to the tragedy. Oh, wow. And it's a uh, director's first film, actually. It's uh, Ryan C- Cougar, Coggin, something like that. But anyways, it's his first film. And so it's a really impressive first film. If it is playing in a theater near you, I suggest you go check it out. So, mm.
1: now that's the one starring—is uh, it Michael D. Jordan? Yes, Michael Jordan. So don't yeah. go
2: thinking it's Michael Jordan is yeah. in Not the basketball the Michael player. Jordan, yeah. But
1: yeah. Uh, he's a he's a fun actor. I, I I was a big fan of the the TV show Friday Night Lights. So he was and the first uh, time I'd seen him. So yeah. he does
2: have some basis somewhere. Friday Night here.
1: Lights. He had a, he was a he was star on that for a couple of seasons. And then he was also one of the kids in Chronicle, the movie, the found footage film from a couple years ago. So.
2: I will say also she has a supporting role um, as his mom, Octavia Spencer. And she oh, was in The yeah. Help. And she's she good. is she's good in this as well. Hopefully, you know, someday she'll get the, the lead role in something because yeah. she's really good. But she's in this and she's. Awesome. Good. All right. So you saw
1: Fruitville Station. Any desire to see The Conjuring? You know. You're not a big horror fan.
2: I, I am not. But I have heard that this is supposedly. It's good. Pretty good. But yeah. I, you know. I'm, I'm a chicken too. So <laughs> well, and I'll, if, I'll probably. I'll admit it. If I continue to hear good things, maybe when it comes on streaming, maybe I'll watch maybe it. Maybe
1: on like a Saturday afternoon when it's right, nice, when it's and, bright nice outside. and bright outside. Yeah, that's the yes. way I do
2: it. Then I'll
1: yeah. do it. <laughs> Great. Um, well, okay. I haven't seen either of the films and I am curious to see Fruitville Station. So okay. uh, we may have to try to. Talk about that at some point later sure. on if I get a chance to see it. Uh, have you seen anything else of interest or anything at yeah. all worthy lately? Um, yeah. Yeah.
2: Since they're talking about other films, I did recently see uh, The Heat because that's a comedy that came out that's, this uh, summer. That's Melissa
1: McCarthy and Sandra Bullock, right?
2: Yeah, and it was directed by the guy who did Bridesmaids, Paul, Paul Feig. Or- Paul, Paul Feig. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. How you say? yeah. you go. And I will say I was disappointed. Oh. Um, you know, I I was expecting Melissa McCarthy, who was a big part of Wild Bridesmaids, was funny, but she was an ensemble player. Yeah. And I like Sandra Bullock as well. I think she's she's funny, you know, and I think she's a talented actress. And I think what happened is they relied too much on improv, I feel like. I don't know, but Mm. I felt like they kind of told Melissa McCarthy in a lot of scenes, okay, just do your thing. Just do your thing. Do Do your your McCarthy thing. She's like, okay. And so she did. But I, I feel like the writing is where it fell down because mm. she wasn't responsible for the she wasn't the writer on the film. So okay. I feel like they just relied too heavily on her to just be funny. Mm. And so, and then another part of the movie was there were some jokes, but a lot of it relied on her just spewing expletives. Yeah, See, and that's, that's just not funny to me. I I, I
1: like her. I think she's funny. Uh, everybody raves about her scene in This Is Forty a film that I was really disappointed in. I remember. And she did have some funny moments, but it did kind of border on the whole, let's just let her say as many expletives and be as gross and, uh, as, as mean spirited as possible. And that's just what she's going to do. And I think that's kind of her stick now. And I think she needs to be very careful that, that she just doesn't get pegged down that path for everything she does.
2: Well, and some of the, some of the funnier things that I did laugh at, I didn't laugh a whole lot in the movie. So it was kind of a disappointment but were some of the throwaway lines where it was just very understated mm-hmm. and I wish there had been more of that cuz she's capable of doing that yeah. instead of being the kind of the, the brash beating mower. you over the yep. head mm-hmm. you know so that was kind of a disappointment, right. so a disappointment there now yeah. how about you what's something you've seen recently you, you <laughs> didn't see the heat but you saw something else. no no uh i did see a film called the canyons are you
1: familiar mm. with this at all uh not really okay. tell me about it well uh paul schrader director who okay. was the writer of taxi driver so i mean there's some some street cred there okay. in the filmmaking world uh he's done a lot of films since then as well some really good films from time to time affliction was one he did not yeah. too long ago with nick, nick nolte. nolte right but this film uh stars Lindsay lohan i've heard of her i yeah. know who she is uh and it stars james dean did you know James Dean was still alive? I did not know he was still around. Well, okay, yeah, this is James Dean with two E's, D E E N.
2: Okay, uh,
1: he's a porn actor.
2: Ah, there
1: you go. Didn't know that until I <laughs> queued up the film. I, I was curious to watch this film because this got a lot of press for being uh, IFC Films, inter, inter, uh, independent film uh, group, released the, the film, okay. but they released it video on demand. Okay. Um, considering that it actually had a a kind of a big star in it and a big director. The the
2: writer was the guy from American Psycho,
1: right? Brett Easton Ellis. Yeah. Okay. Um, So a lot of, a lot of good pedigree to this film, but it went straight to video on demand. So basically you could see it on iTunes the day it released. They did show it in some, some theaters across the nation, but it was on iTunes on Amazon, whatever, like day of. Okay. So this is a model that I think, A lot of companies are really trying to explore and see, can we successfully release a film on video, on demand, at the same time, and is this the direction we want to go? Well, I love the model because it was really nice knowing on that Friday night, I'm going home and I'm like, you know what? I can actually watch.
2: So did you watch this on the release day? Oh, yeah. I watched a
1: brand new film on iTunes, rented $6 or so, watched it that night. So that was cool. I love the model of it because, you know, I had two kids at home and my wife was busy and I'm like, you know what? Uh, The kids didn't watch the canyons today. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I (laughs) might have been too young to be watching this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I No, but I love the format. Okay. I love knowing that yeah, I can watch this movie right here. Now this does bode poorly for theaters, <laughs> uh, which is actually interesting. The film actually makes a kind of a meta commentary on the state of theaters. Hmm. The whole opening credit sequence is nothing but shots of decrepit, rundown movie theaters. Okay, why I don't know oh, okay. because it has nothing to do with the rest of the film. Hmm. Uh, this is a let's Was be. Was this film
2: shot with the intention of going uh, straight have, to being? I have on no demand? idea.
1: Okay. This film was a mess. I'm sorry. Really? This film was really bad. Really, um, no no sto- Lucy no story? Uh, not really. Okay. Um, American Psycho is another one that Brett Easton Ellis wrote. Okay. And they tried so hard to weave some of that that style into this film, and it just doesn't work. Hmm. There are parts of the film that are basically borderline porno. It's the acting's horrible. Horrible. When the best actor in the film is the porn actor guy. Wow, he outshines Lindsay Oh, Bohan. yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. He was actually at least interesting to watch on screen. Hmm. Uh, no, this film was just a mess. It. I didn't understand the point of it. It was just... The, so is it uh, like a,
2: supposed to be that, like a murder mystery or a mystery? It's
1: a it's a it's a uh under the belly story about true life in the Hollywood Hills area. Uh vapid, uh young thirty something year olds and just, you know, ex- excesses of life and hmm. but yes, it does try to weave in a psycho crazy person doing bad (laughs) things towards the end. Okay. And and it just doesn't work. It's a really bad film. It's very tough to kind of sit through and watch the whole thing. So not recommended at all. Although I will say, I think the format is interesting. You know, I will say knowing that I could queue up a film the day of release and watch it on my, my home theater. It was all right. I mean, I would, I still love going to the movie theater. Mm -hmm. That's not going to change, but if I'm forced to where I can't make it to the movie theater, or, I don't want to plunk down 10, 12 bucks to go do it. Watching it for four or five bucks on iTunes on my home TV, eh, it's not a bad alternative. Sure. All right. Did we cover all the mail that we want to cover today? I think we did. All right. We had three to do. And we did three, right? Yes. Good. Okay. So. Cover some good stuff. Jeff, Shannon, and Dennis, Dennis. thank you for the emails. We really do appreciate it. We've seen, actually, our listeners increase every month that we've been putting out the show. So thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. Spread the word. We'd love to get as many people listening and talking with us and having dialogue on things.
2: Send in mail. We'll try to get to it.
1: Absolutely. I can't guarantee we're going to do mail every single episode, but we'll try to hit it as best we can.
2: All right, Chris, let's wrap up the show with
1: the last thing we always like to do, where we each will recommend one film that we think our listening audience ought to check out. Okay. And we're thinking, chances are, they probably have not seen this film. And it is something that they can get online in some variety or format. So, why don't you go first? What do you got for us?
2: Okay, since we've already gone spoiler territory mm-hmm. on um, Stories, we Tell. Stories We Tell, my pick is going to be Take This Walls, which Ooh. was uh, okay. Sarah Polly's film right before she made um, Stories We Tell. Nice. Good synergy and the reasoning is why I think it's a solid film just on its own merits. About, it's about a happily married woman who falls for an artist who lives across the street from her. Mm-hmm. Uh, her husband is Seth Rogen, and the guy who lives across the street is an artist that she kind of falls in. Luke, something is his name, actor's name. But anyways, and it's just really interesting to see this woman who is struggling with who she wants to be. And basically, now that I have seen stories we tell... You can see either – I recommend them as a pairing so uh, because I feel like the Michelle Williams character in this movie is basically Diane from Stories uh-huh, We Tell. Based
1: on Sarah Polly's mom. Yes.
2: Interesting. Um, and the parallels that you can go on and on about – it made me enjoy – stories we tell i think more than i would have otherwise because i could kind of read into oh, nice. the body of work that sarah polly has done yeah. so anyways well, michelle
1: williams too very good actress so, yeah yeah
2: yeah so i, I and the, the cinematography some shots in uh take this waltz are just amazing specifically i'll call out a scene that uh michelle williams the character likes to go to a scrambler kind of an amusement park mm-hmm. And they have the video kill the radio star play Mm. and just those scenes and the way they're shot. And then Michelle Williams, the acting that she does without saying a word, you kind of see emotions go through her head and you can, you just know what she's thinking. Very cool. Amazing. Take this waltz. Take this waltz. Yeah. It's uh, streaming on Netflix. You can probably rent it from iTunes and stuff as well. Awesome.
1: Uh, all right. My film is the 2006 film, Stranger Than Fiction. Ah, uh, I, Again, I don't keep a really good running list of what films I've recommended. I don't think I've talked about this <laughs> one before. Letterboxd, I know. I've started on Letterboxd. <laughs> I have Excellent. started building a films I've recommended on Foot Candle Films, but it's not complete yet. So I So I'm still you. working on building that.
2: Regardless. We can get the intern to do that, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm sure. Intern <laughs> over there in the studio. You can write that down. You take care of that for go me. Go back and listen Thank
2: to you. the old episodes Appreciate and it. tell us. Yeah.
1: Uh, but because we have Anchorman two coming out in the next few months, as, that
2: wasn't one of your most anticipated. Alan. Oh, I'm
1: I'm definitely looking forward to it. But I've also I'm trying not to anticipate it too much because gotcha. when I anticipate comedies, uh, they normally let <laughs> things me things go wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this is uh, this is Will Ferrell uh, starring in a little more of a dramatic role. I mean, it still has some comedic elements to it, but overall, this is a much more a much more serious film. Mm-hmm. Not depressing film just more serious It's will ferrell emma thompson and dustin hoffman what i love about it is just the premise overall uh will ferrell plays harold crick who is an irs auditor and all of a sudden one day he wakes up and his life is being narrated (laughs) to him in his head right nobody else hears sounds like a spike jones movie it does it's very quirky in the style um the idea is that it's basically narrating what's happening to him Unfortunately, the narration starts to lead down a path where he starts to realize that this story ends very badly for him. <laughs> and he's determined to not let the story end that way. Right. It gets very meta. It gets very quirky. It gets very, uh, you know, just on several different levels, it's working. Will Ferrell, I thought, was great in this film. I think you know, he pulls off just enough slight humor, paranoia. Kind of getting over overwhelmed with what's going on around him. Uh, Dustin Hoffman is a professor that he goes to to try to explore literature and understand what may be happening. <laughs> Emma Thompson is the actual author of this uh, Harold book. Crick's story book. All of it, you know, it's really the most interesting. And to Maggie
2: me. Gyllenhaal is in the film as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she's the kind
1: of the the love interest. Okay. Uh, she has a, a bakery or something right, that right, right. that he has to go audit as an as a tax auditor. What was probably the most interesting is the director is Mark Forrester, who uh, I have a a actual hatred for Quantum of Solace, the <laughs> James Bond film that he did. Got gotcha. you. Um, and but he did World War Z, which I thought was really good. Okay. This guy has a very eclectic filmography: Quantum of Solace, Finding Neverland with Johnny Depp, okay. World War Z, Stranger Than Fiction. Just, Just it's kind of all over the place. I don't yeah? know what his specialty is. I really hated Quantum of Solace. I
2: wouldn't say that, like. He, he doesn't have a specific like a hallmark or a style that you can really pick out too. No, Not really. Of...
1: And even thinking about some other ones he's done, hmm. uh, the kite runner,
2: Oh, okay. uh,
1: finding Neverland monsters ball. He did monsters ball. Forget okay. about that. Uh, huh. so yeah, it's a very odd filmography, but, but out of those
2: you're saying stranger than fiction, definitely one to check. It's out. my favorite. It's okay. my favorite
1: of his films. And I think it's probably his best made film. Okay. Uh, there's some great, Visual uh, elements to the film that kind of help diagram certain things that are happening in, in Harold Crick's life. Hmm. Uh, the soundtracks by spoon who I love and I think do a really good job with the music in this film. Okay. Um, so I love the film. I think it's really great. I think it's a, it's a good story. I think it ends on just the right note. Hmm. Um, Really enjoy the film. Have you seen it?
2: I have seen it. It's been a while. Is it available on Netflix? Do you know?
1: I don't know if it's on Netflix. I mean, I know you can get it on iTunes, of course, but uh, I don't know about Netflix. Because
2: I'll have to recheck it out because it's been a while since I've seen it, but I did like it.
1: I I, I thought it was a really fun film. It was not what I expected going in the first time. Gotcha. Um, Between that and Everything Must Go, Will Ferrell's kind of had his two quasi-comedy drama movies. I can see that. Um, This was the better of the two, by far. So, because I didn't, I thought everything must go was okay. Not sure. great, but okay. Not
2: fabulous, but yeah. okay. Okay. Whew. It's
1: a I guess, lot. I think we're at the end of the show. Question. Yeah.
2: We're going to review Elysium.
1: Oh, yeah. Correct? Yeah.
2: Okay, so that'll be one of the two next films that we review. I don't know what the other one film's going to be. If you guys have an idea, write in. Let us know what you think our next... Yeah, it's let us know be, quick. It's not going to yeah. be The Conjuring. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, we <laughs> We're that. not going to do that. Yeah, we'll
1: try to find another film to review of, of to besides up. Elysium.
2: Uh, but we Maybe are it'll be one of your video-on-demand Could be.
1: Could okay. be. I'll, I'll definitely check the list and see what we've got going on. Okay. And uh, I do want us to, next time, let's talk about trailers. Okay. I think we really need to have a serious discussion about the value or non-value <laughs> of trailers these days. Sounds so, good. Talk about a couple that we, that we really particularly like from the past. So okay. with that, our marathon show of foot candle films, I think has come to a close. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you to those of you that wrote in some questions and letters. Uh, and thank you to the three that we pulled out to read. And again, you can go to the and pull up any old show archive and listen to any of the episodes we've recorded you can also go and listen to other shows on the Mesh Network. It's not just movies; it's That's right. you know, business, sports, it's music. It's sports. We got a lot of sports shows on there now. Uh, a lot of stuff something to check out.
2: called like fantasy football. There's a big fantasy. F- yeah, there
1: is. There is a thing called fantasy football. Yes, Chris. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> imagine if you were to pick. Imagine if you were to take Oscar nominees and compile your own team of people you think are going to win Oscars, and you're tracking and keeping score I've, of those.
2: I've heard him talk about it. it sounds like Dungeons and Dragons with football. <laughs>
1: So that's how I... We'll make sure the uh, co-hosts of Fantasy Formula hear (laughs) all about that analysis, Chris. I'm sure they'll appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of good good shows to listen to on the Mesh Network, so we encourage you to do that. Please reach out to us. Drop us a line, info at themesh.tv. You can also go to our Film Society website, which is footcandle.org the foot candle film society here in Western North Carolina. We bring a film at least once a month to the beautiful downtown Hickory, Carolina theater, show it in front of a packed house audience and talk about the film afterwards. Uh, if you're ever in the Hickory, Catawba County, North Carolina area, drop us a line, let us know. You're welcome to come by and be our guest at one of those screenings. So with that, let's wrap up our episode of foot candle films. I'm Alan. I'm Chris. And thanks a lot for listening. See you in the ticket
2: line.